thought-provoking stories, and insights from around the globe by your favorite athletes. This is the Athlete's Obsession, brought to you by Obsesh. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by Daryl Reynolds, pro basketball player and founder of the Stay Tuned Network. He talks about his navigation from the basketball world to the world of media, as well as his time at Villanova. Welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Athletes Obsession podcast presented by Obsesh. My name is Dalton Allison. I'm the host as usual. And this week I'm joined by Daryl Reynolds, professional basketball player. We'll start with the first question that I always ask. What's your obsession? I would say progress. Uh, I have always been, I think that's why basketball was so much fun because you could see in real time if you were getting better with something, um, rather be a handle or a shot or a drill or anything. I am obsessed with making progress and just doing things better and efficiency, but it all kind of circles back into progress. I guess you could say efficiency and, and in kind of the same breath, but just, just moving forward. You know what I mean? I, I have this issue, just think still have this issue with sitting still. So I kind of just use it to, to fuel my work, but yeah, progress. Growing up in a basketball-rich city like Philadelphia, you know, you were able to avoid sitting still a lot. What was it like growing up in such a strong basketball community? It was, I'm going to be completely honest with you. It was like, it really wasn't my world. So I, I grew up in South Philly and around the time that I was a kid, you know, around like that age, like six or seven, when you start to, things really start to click for you. Around the time I was heating up. So this was like the year, this is 2000. So this is like, it's not heating up, he's here. Like he's a phenom, the shoes are crazy. Everybody wanted his shoes, everybody wanted his thing. At the same time, the Eagles on the other side doing their thing. They got Terrell Owens, they got Donna McNabb, you know what I mean? So it was a great time for sports in the city, but I was much more into the arts. Um, I went to a charter school across the street from the high school that Questlove and, um, and uh, Black Thought of the Roots went to and several other big uh, names in Philly I went to. There was a, a gentleman who actually ran the charter school. I don't know if you remember this name. His name is Kenny Gamble. And he was a part of a group called Gamble and Huff. And they wrote some of the biggest hits in Motown that anybody ever heard. Like in the 60s and 70s, they really ran it. So although there was this huge sports presence in the city, I was very aware and focused on the art side of things. And quite frankly, as a kid, in my mind, I had it in my mind. Like, I'm going to school here. I'm going to go to school here for elementary school, middle school, I'm going to go across the street, I'm going to go to Kappa, I'm going to meet Questlove and the Roots. And I don't think I'm going to do music, but I think I'm going to do movies, so I'll probably do the music videos. Like, I had this whole idea in my head. So as much as uh, Philly is a sports city and as much as I love sports and it is a part of my identity, obviously, to my own over life, um, I was very into the arts as a kid. Um, but the sports was just, it, it was there, and they were, I think I was more interested in sports stories than the actual game. Do you know what I mean? Hearing these guys' stories, hearing what they fought through, like Allen Iverson, we all thought he was from Philly. Like the way you look it up, like you couldn't tell us he wasn't from Philly. And it's like, you know, you hear about all the things that he went through, you hear about his career in Georgetown. So for Philly, it was really the sports stories more than the actual sports. I find that so interesting. You know, where did you find your artistic inspiration from, you know, since you were so into art as a kid? I got to be honest, I really don't know. You know what I mean? I think I just kind of came here with it. Good deal of it because my neither one of my parents are. Nobody in my family is. Like, 
Yeah, no, I think it, it was just, I, it just appealed to me. I remember, I remember as a kid, I was always very fascinated by downtown. My daycare was downtown. You know, I, I think when my first elementary school was like pre-K or something was downtown. So I was constantly in the city. And I think it was just, it, you gotta, you gotta come to a place like Philly to understand it. But like, you know, like the whole, like Rocky as iconic as he is, he's iconic because of the Rocky steps at the art museum. You know what I mean? So it's almost like you can't, you really can't get around the idea of sports in this city. I was very, very, very um, just captivated by like being downtown and seeing the lights and just all these murals around the city. So I think just being from a place like Philly, you can't help but escape the artistic value of things and how much we value art and how much art is a staple here and how many things it plays into. Like it takes, it takes me leaving here to see it, but it's like, you could be at a restaurant in one of the most random parts of town and look across the street and there's a beautiful mural. You know what I mean? Like a, like a world-renowned artist painted a mural or like a sculpture that's like in the most random eye place. Like Philly is just a random ass city, call it what it is. So I think that kind of chaotic value that art brings, it, it, it spoke to something in me and I just I followed it more and more. Well, as you began to follow it, at some point you did pick up a basketball and start playing. When about did that happen? So I, I played sports all my life here and there. I played baseball when I was like eight or nine, eight and nine. And then I played football for a while. I played football from eight to about 13. And you know what I mean? It was just like, I was kind of just playing sports to, to play sports. It was kind of the thing to do, the parents were showing us, whatever. Um, and I didn't really like it. And then when I turned like 14, I started playing ball. And I say playing, I mean like, you know, we got lunch. Instead of going to lunch, I would go to the gym and play. Or, you know, at the open gym, then we would play. After school, I'd stick around and play before we had to catch the bus home. And I started to realize, like, yo, I like this. You know what I mean? Like, I like this. Not only do I like this, but I'm good at it. Like, I, I'm, I'm good at it. I'm picking it up very fast. Like I said, progress. Before I went, I had hit a growth spurt. I think at the beginning of high school, I was like 5'10", 5'11". At the end of it, by the end of my sophomore year, I was 6'5". So I hit this growth spurt in the time that I had discovered basketball. And it was just, you know what I mean? Like, this is something telling me do it. And then I just, I just, I obsessed over it. You know what I mean? I just kept working at it and I fell in love with it. You know what I mean? I was like, I, I think I have something that I love as much as the arts. And I really, you're kids. So I wasn't like really focused on the arts. I wasn't like writing screenplays or anything. I just liked movies and film and cinema and stuff like that. But with basketball, I was like, all right, this is the thing right here. It's right in front of me. And once I picked it up, I just didn't put it down. I ran with it. You know what I mean? As you started to progress as a basketball player, did you ever look to another basketball player as an influence on your game? Absolutely. Around the time I started playing at the beginning of my high school career, so 2008, 2009, that was, yeah, KG. And the, and the Celtics had just won. Um, and I'd always liked him. I watched him on the Timberwolves when I was a kid. Something about him in Boston was just like, he was my guy. Him and Amari Stoudemire. Like, those were just, I, I was, the, the amount of power and passion that they played with, it was just like, these guys are animals. Like, I love Kobe, you know what I mean? I love Kobe, God rest his soul. Like, that really is like the guy. Um, but I'm looking at my body, you know, the position I played, and I was like, I'm not a guard. But when I would watch them, I'm like, I can do that. I can dunk on somebody like that. I can block somebody's shot like that. I can run the floor like that. So Kevin Garnett's probably the biggest. It's probably 1A Kevin Garnett, 1B uh, Amari Stoudemire. 
Now, what from each of their games did you end up putting into your game as you started to develop into an elite basketball player? I think for KG, it was KG, like people don't, I think nowadays when you see so many of these big men shoot threes and stuff, like that wasn't really big back then. KG had a lot of Hakeem in his game as he could play from the high post, he could play from the low post. Pretty much if it was inside the three-point line, he was dangerous. You know what I mean? And that really uh, made him, him like a, a threat. He wasn't huge on the pick and roll game. He was big on ISOs, but to pretty much his ability to shoot basketball and his ability to get his own shot off or create his own shot from anywhere outside the three-point line. I have realized like that is a huge asset because a lot of guys, a lot of guys his size, if they weren't within five feet of the basket, they were obsolete. You know what I mean? So he kind of had this unique way of holding on. He was a power forward in the center's position. And then Amar Stoudemire is just a power. Like it was just raw. Like if you go back and watch that, like I think our generation is more um, aware of Blake Griffin being that kind of guy for, you know, three or four years. But like Amari Stoudemire, up until those last couple of years in New York was just like a beast. You know, like you couldn't do anything with him. Like you couldn't, you couldn't stop him because he was too strong. He was too smart. So he would like find all these little angles to exploit things. And he was just a guy you constantly had to have your eyes on, um, on offense and defense. But like I said, both of them, it was just an insane amount of passion they played with. And I noticed in both of them, they were both trash talkers. I wasn't a trash talker, but you could see that it was them hyping themselves up and getting their opponent's head. And you could tell... I think I like watching him because you could tell it was a lot more mental than it was physical for them, especially Kevin Garnett because he was a nutcase. You're an interesting case when it comes to collegiate basketball prospects because you experienced your greatest growth before you were really being scouted by a lot of the major programs. Your growth came in between your junior and senior year of high school what kind of work went into growing your game that much that late in your high school basketball career? Me and my brother were just like, listen, we, we, we want to play at the highest level. We, we, had, we had made up our minds on that. And the summer going into his junior year, my senior year, we had just decided, like, listen, no AAU. We're not playing AAU seriously. We're just going to work. And just that summer, we just grinded. Like, we ate weights. You know what I mean? Like, we lifted, like, all the time. We worked out every single day. We rode our bikes. We get off. We were, we were rigorous about stretching. And we just had we just had put our heads down and was like, listen, we're going, we want the highest level. We want to play at the highest level after high school. And we wanted to win a state championship while we were there. So we just like we just put our heads down and just worked and just grinded that summer. And then my senior year, his junior year, we get back to school and it was just like, and it wasn't just us, it was our entire team. So like I say we, I mean like. It was me and him because we lived together. That's my brother. But like all of our teammates were on the same type of time. One of my teammates, BJ Johnson, he's played for the Orlando Magic. He's played for the New York Knicks at this point. He's overseas now, but like he played in G League for some years. He went to Syracuse right out of Lawrence. And then he went to transfer to LaSalle. And he was another guy. Like he was such a hard worker, probably one of the hardest workers I've ever seen in my life. So it was this, this healthy competition between everybody of like, Ain't none of us getting outworked by the next person. And we damn sure not about to get outworked by another team. So when we showed up, my senior year, his junior year, BJ's junior year for that season, you know, me, Yohani, BJ, Raheem, oh my God, I'm sorry. I love my guy. Uh, oh, of course. We just showed up as a mob. And as the team did better, I did better. You know what I mean? It was less stress off of me. Guys were better in their skill set, so I could focus on me. And it was, 
it's, that was kind of my first lesson. And if the team is doing good, you're going to do good um, because all of us were just getting better and everybody being better helped everybody else look that much better. You know what I mean? Yeah, and eventually you guys did win that state championship, right? Yeah, so, so the story is I, we didn't win it my senior year. We went to the state championship and lost my senior year. I went to prep school, and I, I don't know why that doesn't, like, people think that I graduated in 2013. I graduated in 2012. I took a prep year, but I was at the game um, for the, the state championship. So they, they made it back the following year and beat Chester. Um, and that was crazy. I was, I was so proud of them, dude. Man, that was, it was crazy to see it. And they did it in the same place Kobe had won his state championship. Because my senior year was at Penn State. Their, their senior year, it was back at the Giants Center in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So it was, it was dope to see that end like that. Now, after that, that postgraduate year that you did mm-hmm. after high school, you signed on to play for the Villanova Wildcats. Mm-hmm. What was it like going from having a Division II offer during high school to receiving an offer to play for one of the best programs in the country? It was a little, it was a little surreal in how it happened. The recruiting didn't start until late. I think I started talking to them like halfway through my season up there. And it was just kind of like, we were kind of like measuring each other up. I was, to, it was surreal to me because it's just like, what are the odds that I'm going back to? I had it in my mind. I was going to go up to Boston prep school and I was going to go and play either in the Pac-12 or some conference out West. I had this obsession with playing out West because I understood like as strong as I like to play, as physical as I like to play in the West Coast, they don't play like that. They like to get up and down. They like a prettier game. You know this, Seton Hall. So like, I like to bang. So I'm like, if I go out there, I'm going to excel. But my last schools were Seton Hall, South Carolina, Utah, and Villanova. And at the time, Villanova isn't, it wasn't what it is now. You know what I mean? Like this, this progress has really happened over the last like years. It was on the rise. You could tell they were doing good. They had just won the tournament that last year before I got there. Lost North Carolina in the second round, ironically enough. Um, and they were on the rise, but it wasn't, you know what I mean? It was just like, oh, they're, they're doing good. It was, it was looking like they were the best school in the city. Um, but what really made me go there was I, I talked to Coach Wright um, one day. This is our first real conversation, and it had nothing to do with basketball. He, he, he talked about life after basketball. He talked about who you are as a man. He talked about character. He talked about all these things that were intangible. But because I stopped, because I didn't play basketball until I was 15 years old, I understood the value of those things. Like, in the real world. Um, so I told my parents after I left, I was like, this is the guy I want to play for. You know what I mean? And I was excited about Villanova, but it was it was definitely surreal. It's 10 minutes from Low Marion. Like, people don't know that. Like Low Marion and Villanova are 10 minutes down the road from each other. What was it like for you then playing 10 minutes away from where you played at high school? It was uh, it was a different world. As close as they were, um, Lower Marion and you know, people talk about you know Kobe Bryant. What he started doing after he you know, retired, the, the RT side of him. And if you ever go to Lower Marion High School, it is very, you very quickly understand why that side of him was so ready. You know what I mean? Um, after basketball, there's like, it's, it's just a very artsy, I say right brain school, not like, like right brain, left brain. The left brain is the, the uh, strategic linear side that, you know what I mean? It kind of deals with structures. The right brain is kind of the chaotic artsy side, um, it was a very right brain school and it was very focused on the arts. A lot of the kids go to big state schools. A lot of the kids from Lower Marion are in 
some position in entertainment or something like that. It was just a very like free school. I used to joke like half of your parents were hippies, I know it. Um, but it was just very like, you know, just, just free. And then I get to a place like Villanova and I'm thinking it's gonna be the same because it's 10 minutes down the road and complete opposite. It was, a, the main focus of Villanova was the business school outside of, you know, athletics and, and the, the uh, philanthropy side of it. As far as on campus goes, the main focuses were the business school and the nursing school. So the school was very like structured and linear. It was very left brain. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, I struggled. You know what I mean? Socially, I struggled. Uh, thank God, my teammates, thank God, my coaching staff. But socially, I really struggled in college. Um, but what it taught me was like, okay, there's another side you kind of need. You gotta learn it. And I gotta be honest, I'm so happy I went through it because it showed me like how different things can be. You know what I mean? So close together, but also how you need both sides. You've talked a lot so far about your obsession with progression. What kind of progression did you experience while you were at Villanova? At Villanova, it was, so it was challenging. My freshman year, didn't play at all. Sophomore year, I played half through the season and we started conference play, didn't see the floor. My junior year, I'm in a position where it was for a lot of games in the season I started. I want to say for like a third of the season, I was starting, like including the Big East tournament, some of our bigger games in the middle of the season, rather because of injuries or disciplinary things, which just, you know, coach wanting to shake things up. So my junior year, I was kind of thrown in this position where it's like, you, you really have to, all the work that you've been putting in and all the stuff that you, you know, been wanting from your last two years, like here it is. Now, what are you going to do with it? Um, and then my senior year, I'm playing too many minutes. And, you know what I mean? We're down to like seven. I think my senior year, we had like seven people. And you know what I mean? It's crazy. But I say all that to say the progress that I had made at Villanova was understanding the, the power of progress. You know, I started playing at 15, it happened so fast. A huge part of me didn't appreciate being patient. A huge part of me didn't appreciate waiting your turn. A huge part of me didn't appreciate not skipping steps for the sake of learning lessons. I got to get it and I got to get it now. And I got to Villanova and it's like, slow down. You know what I mean? Take a second. So it has showed me that although you could be obsessed with progress, although you can want progress, although you can always be focused on making it, understand that progress looks different in different fields and it looks different at different times, but it doesn't mean you're not making progress. So Villanova really showed me the process of progress. You know what I mean? How it looks um, across different fields. What was your top highlight from being a Wildcat? Top highlight from being a Wildcat. We had a game where we had a stretch of games where our starting big man, Daniel Chefu, my junior year, he had a concussion. And I had to start for three games. It was St. John's, Creighton at home, and then it was we had to go at Providence. And we had lost to Providence earlier that season at Wells Fargo Center. So it was a big thing. And I went up there and it was like the first game of my college career. I was like, you know what? Forget playing it safe. I'm going to just go out here and play. We have to beat these guys. Let's get it. And I had a double-double. And then I, I, it was like one of my first interviews on the floor or whatever. So that was nice. You know what I mean? You get that, that kind of feel. And then I'm walking out the tunnel and I walk back and then I walk back to the locker room and I'm expecting to walk in. We always pray after the game. So I'm thinking because I'm so late, I'm going to walk in on the prayer. I'll just grab somebody's hand. You know what I mean? Keep it. You know what I mean? Let's just pray. Let's keep it moving. Get up out of here. And I walk in and everybody's like waiting there. They're like, ah, and then we start going crazy. And 
it was just a real like, all right, you know what I mean? Like, I, I like that. You know what I mean? I like that. Let's let's keep it moving. But that that was my best. That was probably the highlight. Personally, obviously there was another one, but now what <laughs> what was it like of being a national champion with Villanova and with your teammates? That, yo, that time was surreal. Like I, I look back on that time, man. It was it was it was crazy. <laughs> How things have changed. You know what I mean? And it's like I don't ever want to talk about it in dread. I don't ever want to talk about it like I'm not grateful. But I gotta be honest, a lot of us really don't remember the bulk of that time because it, things got thrown on the treadmill, like at a hundred miles per hour, man. Like it was just the the attention, the the the, the people coming out of the woodworks, um the the, the amount of pressure that we had on us, because me, my, my teammates, me, Chris Jenkins, the one who hit the uh, shot, and Josh Hart, who's in the NBA now, we were juniors when we won national championship. So we had to come back, and everybody was looking at us like, I got to do it again. Um, I remember there was a Philadelphia paper, and it was like some people who I thought, you know, were, were like good people. Even your kid, I was kind of naive. They had put out an article with me and Josh, like on the front, like smiling, and it was like the hangover. Did Villanova get too caught up with success to have another successful season? And it kind of was like an eye-opening moment, like, oh, like, this isn't about us doing good. This is about y'all getting a story. And I'm not saying I never realized that. It was just when we won, I saw, like, how quickly, you know, that had started up. Um, even being in the city and hearing people, you know, I'm walking around, you're hearing, like, it was a very surreal time. Um, and it was great. That night was great, but, bro, that summer, pretty much, like, from the time we won to about a year later, it was just like we were running full steam ahead and we could barely think about things. I think the the, the moment that kind of like wraps up how wild things were for me were every summer on campus, they would have this alumni appreciation. They would come in, they would stay on campus for the weekend. It's kind of like go back to school. And me, Chris, and Eric Pascal, who's on the Golden State Warriors now, stayed afterwards and we're signing paper. We're signing people's signatures. This is the first time we had a security detail with us. Like, you know, we would do this event all the time. We did it every summer, like since we were freshmen. Um, and we had security detail. And it was like, that was kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like kind of being escorted around by cops. It was like, like, and they had a timer set. So usually it's like, all right, we'll kind of do it till it dies down. But now it's like, no, it's a timer set. We have to go now. We're leaving. And this lady is begging Chris to sign a, a piece of paper. And she's like, Chris, Chris, you have this on piece of paper. She has a child on her hand. She's like, Chris, Chris, you have this on piece of paper. And he's like, he goes to sign it. And the security guard kind of cuts him off. He's like, you have to go. Like, you got to get out of here. And she's like, so, so, you got you to gotta sign it. I BS you not. She owes the baby at Chris to stop him from walking away. And I remember oh. all of us in that moment being like, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> like, like, this is different. Like, everything is really different right now. You know what I mean? So like I said, it was just, it was, it was a surreal time, but like, you know what I mean? Imagine what that moment would do to you. And then that was, that was one of the PG ones. It was just, it, it was moment after moment like that, that kind of made that, that year from April 4th to April 4th. It was just like, oh my God. Like we were, part of us was, part of us was happy. You know what I mean? When, when, our, when our college careers ended. Yeah, the madness really did not stop in March. <laughs> oh, at all, bro. At all. <laughs> now, after your career at Villanova, you played professionally in Poland, mm -hmm. and you suffered a pretty tough injury that, that pushed you away from the basketball court. Since yeah. then, you've started a career in media, 
What's that transition been like for you? Um, thank God it has been seamless in some ways in the sense of I've never stopped. And, and it wasn't until recently that I dealt with the trauma. I'm going to call it what it is. Sports injuries and trauma. I think they need to look into this moment with these, these kids. Like if so much of your body is a, is a, is a tool and an instrument that you use constantly. It's, it, a part of you was hurt and mine was an injury that I'm still recovering from the dates three years later because of the nerve damage. Um, it, it'll really mess you up. So it wasn't until recently I started dealing with the trauma, um, you know, really kind of unpacking that. But the transition was seamless. You know what I mean? I had said, I was literally in the car the night I got hurt. I didn't understand what was going on. I'd never hurt my knee. I'd never had surgery. I didn't understand the magnitude of it. I'm in the car. My homegirl's taking me to the hospital. And I told her, I was like, a lot of writing is about to get done. I was like, I understand I'm about to be out. I had no idea it was going to be this long. <laughs> but I was like, I am about to focus on the writing. And I only said that because when I was overseas, as much as I loved it, as much as I loved uh, basketball at that level, you know, getting paid for it, and, and I'm getting paid to, to play the game I love. This is amazing. I'm seeing the world. On my days off, I would go to a cafe and I would write. I, I actually found a screenplay I wrote the other, the other day over there. It's like 90 pages. You know what I mean? So it was just like, it was it was a part of me that was very aware, like I want to write, you know what I mean? I want to, to be in this media thing, I want to do it. And when I had got home, I started planning that first show that I did, Stay Tuned with D-Ray on campus. And I went to a professor, like, I want to say I got home, I got home on the first, I went to him on like the fourth, May 4th, and was like, I have an idea for a show. I think we can shoot it in the studio and it would kind of be like the 16 versus 18 team going back and forth, kind of like a late night talk show. And he started helping me put it together. That was May 4th. I got hurt May 30th. And it was like, yo, let's do it. You know what I mean? Like, we still, we still on it. You know what I mean? Like, like it was to me, it was just like, all right, cool. Let's just keep rolling with it. Um, so the transition was seamless, but it was definitely a moment because I had to take a moment to step back and think about how much has happened, how much um has really happened over these past couple of years, really kind of deal with the morning of not playing basketball anymore. But I'm getting back to playing now, kind of do it for fun. But this media thing is, although I was good at basketball, this media thing is, this is my town. You know what I mean? Like I came here with certain gifts for this and, and this is why I'm all in on it now. So you ended up giving a, a TED talk on Villanova's campus, kind of chronicling your journey so far. What's been the hardest part of your journey and would you change anything about it? Um, I'm gonna answer the second part first. Right now, there's several things I would change. I definitely would have saved myself a few heartaches and headaches. It's just like with like just certain decisions I made moving like I was I was in a rush. So it's certain things I wish I would have took months with. Um but at the same time, you know what everybody says. Like if you change one thing, you change everything. For the for the most part, obviously, yes, a part of me would want to, but I'm pretty sure somebody laid it out and was like, well, if you didn't learn this lesson, once you got to here, you would have been jammed up. So you know. But the hardest part of it was really coming to grips with the fact that basketball was done. Or, or not that it was done, it was just like, I, I'm like, bro, and I'm, I'm dealing with this now. Like when I say now, I mean like over the past couple months, as I really started to get back to being able to play. I mean, one day like I had went to a local court and some college kids out there just playing. And I was like, you know what, let me try it. You know what I mean? I went out there and obviously it's that, that initial fear of like, am I gonna hurt myself again? And you know, what happens and that? And, before I knew it, I'm running up and down the court, blocking shots. You know what I mean? It was just like, oh my God, I'm back. But the hardest part was, was really being real with myself. And it's like, all right, what do you want to do? You know what you're good at. You know what your life has been to this point. 
But what do you really want? What do you want? You know what I mean? And, and be real with yourself with that. And as much work as I put in with basketball, as much of my identity is trench with basketball, as much as a part of me feels like basketball can expedite a lot of the things that I want to do with media, I want to do. It's not where my heart is. It's not where my passion is. So the hardest part was kind of admitting to myself that over these past couple of years, the goal has kind of been like, do the media thing in order to get healthy, in order to go back and play basketball. In the meantime, and then you can pick the media thing up afterwards, the hardest part was kind of admitting, oh, you know what I mean? Like, no, why would you go back? Look at how much you learned. Look at how much progress you made on yourself and in your career. Why would you Why would you go back? But that was, as easy as I say that right now, I spent months and months going through it because, you know what I mean? You don't, you don't want to get it wrong. You're not like, you don't want to get it wrong. We, we all... We all say that we're just flowing through it and we like it, but let's be honest, we have plans, we have goals, we have dreams. And a lot of them started when we were younger before we start to realize what the world is. And a lot of mine were based in basketball. And it was kind of like, I had to really ask myself, like, do you want to let this pass you by trying to pursue something that you already did to a certain level and you already had success with? Or are you going to let go of that fear and allow yourself to continue to grow in this way? And once I did that, it was just, it was, it was very, very peaceful. But getting to that point was a fight. If someone were to book an experience with you on Obsesh, what would they receive? I want to stay close to the game. I want to stay close to the game. I want to coach people up who want basketball lessons. So obviously, if you're an athlete and you want basketball advice or nutrition advice, you know what I mean? Or you want to do something from basketball and nutrition in your other sport. I'm all for that advice, but I am really on obsession to help guide younger athletes towards the things within themselves that helps them excel within their sport. Our generation is really putting the emphasis on understanding who you are outside of your game, and it only helps you more when you get in it. And I guess the best way I can break it down is when I was overseas and I was over, I was overseas, I was writing. A lot of the writing and reading and self-work that I was doing I couldn't help but think this is helping my basketball game because I understand myself more, because I understand my weaknesses and my uh, my strengths more, you know, in life and who I am as an individual. When I take off this uniform, I can now play my part in the uniform that much better. So on obsession, I'm really trying to help guide their athletes towards understanding themselves better to be that much better in their sport. And then, quite frankly, be that much better when they're done um, playing. If people wanted to keep up with you on social media, your website, how would they be able to do so? On social media is Daryl Nasir Reynolds, D-A-R-R-Y-L-N-A-S-I-R Reynolds, like the foil, R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S on LinkedIn. That's that's Instagram and Twitter. On LinkedIn is Daryl D. Ray Reynolds. That was a name that I got in college from one of my uh, classmate shout out chris he gave me the nickname and it's stuck ever since and yeah that's it stay tuned network.com um definitely definitely look out you know check out the website or whatever but i know people don't really do dot com anymore it's kind of social media based so we're on social media as well but stay tuned network it's all one word across all platforms awesome well daryl this has been a great time i'm happy we were able to get over our differences of you know you being a wildcat me being a pirate and i'm grateful you stopped by today No, man, I appreciate you. Thank you, man. Seriously, thank you.